Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sand Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome, Marlo. Welcome the web. How are we all? Yes, this is an extra bonus show. Um, it's Sam Sethi here, and I'm with my good friend Sarah. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Sam. Sarah was the founder of Girl Geek Dinners, but we're going to find out a lot more about you as well. We're also going to be talking today about a company called DigiMe, where you're the digital strategist. Interesting company. It's all about... We, are we going to call it Web 3 or Web 4? Or we, We'll find we'll out. Through, out. We'll figure it out through the show. Uh, of course, this week it's the Mobile Congress in Spain, and uh, the trend seems to be around foldable screens. Everyone seems to be announcing it, along with some 5G. Um, I don't know if I'll be getting one straight away. It's certainly too expensive for my little pocket, but we'll find out whether Sarah is going to have one. <laughs> um there's a few other news stories I'd like to touch on as well. Obviously, uh, Netflix won their first Oscar last night for the film Roma, which is amazing. Um, and that means, is Hollywood dead or alive? We will talk about that as well. But before we do, let's find out more about you. Sarah, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. It's, it's a, a lovely, lovely day. day. Yeah, it's a lovely day. Uh, so, uh, how did you get into this mad, mad world we all live in called IT and technology? Well, I couldn't really avoid it to be quite honest I grew up in a techie household I had a dad in tech my mum used, used to do HR in tech but I actually wanted to go and do law okay. so um, yeah one of my uh, one of my teachers at school kind of guided me a bit um, and I ended up doing a, an undergraduate in computer science okay so an undergraduate you must have been rarer than rocking horse stuff as I call it but you could term it very much nicer than me yeah, I kind of call it like a unicorn. Yes, which I think is such a nice term. I'm going to use that in future. Tech unicorn. Tech unicorn. Um, but how many, seriously, how many women were on your course? Uh, in my undergraduate course, um, in the first year, there were 150-odd students, and there were around about 20 or so women on the course. Oh, that's more than I thought. Which is quite high, but yeah. quite a lot of them were foreign. Okay. Um, of the UK students, only three of us were female. So, I mean... I've got two daughters. Yep. Uh, one's 19, just gone to university, and the other's 14. Can I get them to even touch HTML, CSS, and JavaScript? No. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> the no, most... you're not making it fun. I, oh, well, I've tried everything. We've. It, it doesn't matter. They, they have no interest. That's a boy thing. In fact, I had a really sad experience. I went up to a friend who lives in the village where I am, and five boys, three girls, they're all playing games. What were the girls doing? Watching. What were the boys doing? Playing. Yeah, you know, it was just, it, and I was like, you know why though, right? The girls want to go and be um, YouTube stars and want to be like the the rich and the famous. Yeah, they, um, the Kardashians what, of yeah, their day. That's what that's what they see as amazing and brilliant. But it's not, is it? It it doesn't get you a job. <laughs> well, quite I, frankly, well clearly it must get the Kardashians. And, a lot. and what they don't get is that actually where the money is. Because they assume that the money is in the YouTube channels, right? Yeah. The, the money's not in the YouTube channels, it's in the sponsors. Well, that's the old story about the railroads, isn't it, in America? The money actually wasn't in making the ra uh, the trains, it was actually the people who sold you the picks and the shovels yeah. and made the railroads. Yeah, I mean, in this case, it's the people that are building the software that's sharing that data across YouTube and all the other social media channels. Exactly. I will go back and have a second go with my children. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. Okay, so you're at university. You did a master's in what? Uh, master's of Enterprise in Computation. Mm, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> so my undergraduate, undergraduate course was Computation too. It's a form of computer science. Okay. Um, it's about how computers work, how they're built, how you program them. 
all that stuff. So assembler and all yeah, that. X eighty six. Learned how to do all that, but you don't really need to. No. Um, it also went into C plus plus, okay. C, Java, all the different programming languages, um, and towards the end, um, .NET. Okay. So yeah. So uh, .NET was the Microsoft platform. Yes, it was only just in its beta when I first started. And using what it. year would that be? Two thousand three. Three. Okay. Um, so I started using that in two thousand and three. It was in version one in two thousand and four, which is when I was doing my masters. But I was doing mobile programming in two thousand and four. Okay. So that was in beta. That wasn't live. So um, you you started doing mobile programming. Yep. Why why .NET? What why not any of the other phone manufacturers? Quite simply because the other phone manufacturers around that time you had Symbian who had their Symbian OS, you had uh, Nokia who had their own OS, and Windows which had its own OS. The ones with the biggest screen were the Windows devices. The others didn't have touch screens. They were on device, type it in, um, and Symbian didn't really have anything that would work in terms of cameras because they didn't have integrated cameras. And what I needed was a phone that had a camera and the ability to do data inputs, including signatures. And the only devices that could do that were Windows Mobile. Okay, so Microsoft had the lead in this mobile world that we all now live in. (laughs) Which is very different to now, right? (laughs) Yes, yeah. So um, you started developing, which again must have been at the bleeding edge. Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any contact with Microsoft directly? Yes. So whenever I got stuck, I had Microsoft staff on hand. Um, Very nice. the, the joys of the M- MVP programs and the evangelists. MVP programs? Um, Microsoft Value Person program. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I remembered it right. Yes. <laughs> I'm good. Just, just trying to make sure we don't have jargon there. Um, right. So you, you're developing for .NET. You're yep. a mobile. You, well, you're a coder. Yep. You're developing for .NET. Uh, how did you come down south? Uh, I got headhunted. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I also ran the swimming team at the university, so I knew the sports director quite well at the university. He recommended me for the role. Okay, Um, and who was this with? This was with what was currently, at the time, uh, Alaris Medical Systems, which then got brought out by a massive US company called Cardinal Health. Okay, I I vaguely have heard of them, okay. Um, So you're now down in Basingstoke. Yep, in their R&D department. And you're looking around the office and... You're very lonesome again. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind working with guys. Don't get me wrong. There's um, nothing wrong with most of us. Absolutely not. There's some um, of us who are And I they were actually a really nice team. Okay. Um, but sometimes you just want to have a girly conversation. Yeah. Were you overpowered by Lynx every morning? No, no. But Lynx is really good for getting rid of um, dry marker pens off whiteboards. Oh, OK. I'll try <laughs> that later. I'm sure that's not in their marketing. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not. Um, so, OK, so you're in this office and... Suddenly you have a brainwave. Is this when Girl Geek Dinners formed as an idea? What happened? No, I just wanted to find other women. So I had a chat with a few people, mostly men, uh, saying what other tech events are there around. Because I thought, well, I'm one of of 20 in my course that did computer science. I moved south. How many others on that course moved south? Probably about a third. So that gave me a fair idea of roughly how many per course per per region in each country each university so my reckoning was there's a couple of hundred at least from my year group that must have moved down to london so how do i find them okay so i i decided that i would start attending lots of different tech events mostly around mobile and and geeky stuff the kind of stuff that we still taught at university and um, i kept going to these events and didn't find them 
And eventually I went to a geek dinner with Robert Scoble and Hugh McLeod. Um, and it was called a geek dinner. So Hugh, for those who don't know, is famous for his uh, cartoons. drawings, cartoons. Cartoon- I think you wouldn't call them cartoons. No. No, he's a lovely guy, English guy over in New York, an advertising guy. Yeah. And uh, Robert Scoble doesn't need any introduction to most no. people. No. Um, anyway, yes, so Robert and Hugh. So what, what event was this? This was the Geek Dinner at the Texas Embassy in London. Yes, the which one I and only Geek Dinner that they yes, ever did. Yes, I was there with uh, Carrie Marsh as well. Was there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There were a lot of us there. Yes, um, I and rem- I remember Carrie just handstanding across Trafalgar Square after. But anyway, <laughs> we d- we digress. Yeah, so it was a really really fascinating event. Um, I like the style of it, uh, the nice foods, the the networking, and a bit of a chat at the end. So at the end of it, I had a chat with. Uh, Robert and just said I like this idea I fancy doing one of these but for women would you have a problem with it and he said no no we'd support that and he said get in touch after the event and uh, we'll try and work out a way of doing it and on the way back I was sat on the train with a friend of mine called Dave and we were talking about it I said I really want to do this but I don't know whether it would work and he said well why don't you just try it all you need to do is put up a blog post about it say what you think you want to do I said yeah the problem is I don't want it to just be women I want men involved too how do I make that happen? I said, well, how do you want to make it happen? I said, well, I don't want it to be overrun by men. Right. Because otherwise it'd be like any other geek dinner. What I want is for a geek dinner, but for women. So majority female, but men are invited to attend. He said, well, give the girls an invite and invite the guys. Make it a date. <laughs> I said, it can't be a date. Yes, <laughs> That's not quite the point. It's not Tinder for geeks. <laughs> exactly. So so I had to explain to him that it's not a date night, and that's what the one thing I don't want it to become. Right. Um, so, yeah. But um, in the end, we got there. I got the wording just as I wanted it. I let Robert and Hugh know what I was doing. They, uh, Hugh gave me the first logo for the Girl Geek Dinners. Oh, I was going to ask you where that came from. That was, that Very was Hugh. Very cool. Uh, not the not the, the the one that's there now. Yeah. Um, because it didn't work moving forwards when we went global because of the the look and feel of it. But um, yeah, it went live and we did our first event in London at the Texas Embassy in the same venue using the same <laughs> staff <laughs> as a girl geek dinner. And at the first one we had thirty five people. Right. Uh, a third of them were guys. Um, it was attended by quite a few people that I knew, but not everyone that I knew. Good. Um, and from there, we got our first sponsor, which was Microsoft. Nice. So, so Microsoft, uh, who would that have been? Bindi? Or no, it was actually Eileen. Oh, Eileen okay. Brown. Gotcha. Um, she sponsored the first one. She was part of the uh, evangelism team, and she was their manager. And she said, right, I'm a woman in tech, and I want to sponsor women in tech. Brilliant. My, my wife was running MSN at the time. I could have asked her. Yeah, but it's, it was just... You had to have the right person at the right time. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. So um, this grew to a hundred different countries. You were saying yes. So wow, it, it didn't just happen overnight, though. <laughs> okay, I, you know, I, I wasn't <laughs> saying it happened the day after, but it no, was pretty rapid. It was fairly rapid. So the first one was London, obviously, and then I had a lady called Rosie Sherry who went from London, went to the London one from Brighton. And she attended that twice. And then she said, I can't keep doing this. I run a testing company. I want to do these events in Brighton because I can't keep coming up to London. I just don't have the time. And I know this would be great for other women. So I sat down with her and worked it out. And I just said, why can't you just run it in Brighton? Why can't we just let this idea go? Let it fly. I'm not going to charge you to do it. Here's the details on how to do it. We link the two websites. People can find you. So... I have my main site, which was London. She has her site, which is Brighton. 
we do I told her how to do the promotion we she knew the layout and the setup because she'd seen London's and that was Brighton from Brighton we went to Italy uh, that's <laughs> just a natural step I, I can see that naturally why <laughs> we had Sara Mattanini who came over from Italy um, she didn't know anything about the Girl Geek Dinners until she turned up in London for okay. an event uh, with work she wanted to come and to a girl geek dinner so she came to a girl geek dinner and okay. then she took them back with her to italy nice um so our first set of italy girl geek dinners were in milan <laughs> okay i never got um, the invite for that one i'm certain no but i got an invite to go yeah, to milan yeah, okay <laughs> so but, but italy was different right so in what way it was a proper four three course sit down dinner oh okay we, they had cosmopolitan magazine there doing coverage of the event so proper press shots proper interviews of the females that were speakers to create profiling and all the rest of it it, it became a production wow it was completely okay. different to london but did you take any of that back to london it didn't scale in the same way in london right. we don't have the big restaurants that you can pile in a hundred and odd people to that you could just book without having to put down huge deposits yeah that's that's the challenge i mean i used to blag loads of space like you you know yeah. Google was great helping out and Microsoft was good in the day. Um, lawyers companies were excellent for that. They had great boardrooms. I used to blag so many boardrooms. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Restaurants. No, how many people, how much money do you want to put exactly. down? Exactly. You yeah. have to put the deposit down in advance. You maybe get it back if people turn up. Okay. I wasn't willing to take that risk, quite yeah. frankly. Um, with Girl Geek Dinners, one of the rules we've had is it's not for profit. Um, so we don't we don't ever make any money out of the events. The sponsors pay the venues direct. We don't touch money even. I mean, the only thing that ever goes out of my accounts with relate, related to Girl Geek Dinners is the blog URL or the website URL and the hosting. And even these days, the hosting is covered by Memsep who sponsor that. Lovely. Us. So, okay, so it, it grew rapidly. Yeah. What was the driver? I mean, why did women want to be around other women? What, what was it they felt they weren't getting? <sighs> It's an interesting question. For most of them, it was about meeting other women and networking to be able to find that next step and that next job. So mentoring or No, or they didn't what? want mentoring. They just wanted to talk to each other. They just wanted to communicate because they're isolated. Okay. They, they wanted they're to... They're ones and twos. They're ones and twos, yeah. Okay. They're, they're not majority. None of them were majorities in companies. It, it was rare to find someone that had three or four people working with them that were female, let alone just one or two. Most of them were individuals on their own in a department with a room full of men. And whilst it's nice to speak with the guys, it's also nice to have that female touch and, and someone to talk to when you get stuck. Because right. if you go to a guy and you say, look, I've got stuck on this, I'm not sure where to go next... It shows you as a weak female. Does it? In a role. In is terms that perception of perceptional reality. It's a little bit of both, particularly if you're early in your career. Okay. I mean it's not it's no bad thing to show a weakness and say, Look, I need help. I, I think I think many but, men that I've worked with would say, I, I don't know how to fix this. I've seen yeah. more senior developers help junior developers. Yeah. So But I think when you're growing up as a female, you get told multiple times you don't want to look weak. Yeah. Right? You need to be strong. You need to do this. You need to be able to do do things better than the men in many ways to be able to even compete in this industry sector. And yeah, that is I something that, that comes across multiple times in the press. It comes comes across when you're in your man management meetings and you're talking to your line manager even. You need to be better than these guys. You need to do as best as you can because otherwise you're not going to keep up. Okay. So, okay, so the, the, the driver was that you needed more 
uh, a support network. Support network. Okay. Yeah. So, Which so is a great you can okay. you can then talk to another female that's in doing the same kind of job as you in a company in London and you're in Hampshire, for example. In there is case. there is this thing that my wife talks about sometimes where people get females get senior and mm. then they pull up what they call the dr- the drawbridge, you know, yeah. or pull up the ladder yeah. and aren't very supportive downwardly. Yes. Did you ever find that? No. Ooh, Interestingly, I, I never had that issue. Um, I, I've always been able to knock on people's doors and ask for help. And okay. Um, and it's not always been the women either. Okay. So, you, so, so, okay. So, the, the, the geek, girl geek dinners were there, a great support network, yep. good speakers. Yep. How often? Once a month? Once a quarter? They started off once a quarter, then they got to once a month, then they got to once every two weeks <laughs> at right. one point, and then it got too much. Yeah, um, yeah. Then they went back to once a month because they got too big, and then it got to once a quarter because they were really very big at that point. Okay. Now, and now they don't run in London. Okay. Do, where else do they run now, though? Uh, all sorts of different places. We have a lot in Norway. We have a lot in Italy. We still have some in the UK. Um, we have them in Bristol, Manchester, Exeter, Scotland, Why Ireland. Why not London, then? Because of two things. So I stopped doing Girl Geek Dinners in London having ended up having to deal with the central stuff. Judith looked after it for a long time and it slowly petered out when she couldn't continue to do London on her own. It just got too big and too unmanageable. Um, At the same time, there were lots of other satellite groups coming out. many different women's networks that right. actually was it necessary it became became that point of is this doing more harm than good um, by okay. having just yet another one um, everyone was spying for the same sponsorship because they're all using similar models apart from girls in tech who were using a, a paper event kind of model okay um, which kind of went against what we wanted to do um, there were conferences on women in tech. There's been lots of other things going on. Google ran their own events. Microsoft started running their own events around the subjects. So actually, what we started had created a whole host of other community events and community activities in this space. And it was just the starting point. It was the driver for creating that change. But most of those were mainly focused on just the women. Okay. So um, we hear often of the bro culture within companies i mean as an ex-rugby player Mm. you know one of my joys was going down the rugby club closing that door and having that male environment um because i don't get that these days (laughs) two daughters a female dog and a wife so um but but again has that changed has the bro culture in companies changed i mean we saw recently in google you know the the developers saying you know they didn't want women um we hear of worries that um ai for example and algorithms are being designed by white young males mainly so all the stereotypical uh you know racism genderism sexism are being you know programmed into algorithms i mean we saw the famous one of google where it didn't recognize a black person in the facial recognition it thought it was an ape yeah um and and somebody said something really interesting to me the other day he said if you train ai or machine learning against data sets that exist so all the data sets exist generally tend to be male white orientated um with bias in them yeah um and we train a machine against those biases, we're bound to produce a mach- an algorithm that is biased. 
Of course you would at so, that point. So the question is whether or not your algorithms need to replicate the realities of the world today or whether they are going to replicate what you want the world to be tomorrow. No, I, we, we, we should be replicating what we want the world to be. I get that. What I'm trying to say is, though, the bro culture, does that still exist? Because if it does, then we're not going to break down the, that. It depends how you define bro culture. Um, yes, there's always going to be the guys that are going to be a bit... I don't want to put it in too, too fine a term. Um, difficult, misogynistic, that kind of thing. Right. They're a minority. They're not the majority of people in the tech Good. industry, yeah. right? And it's the same in any part of business. The misogyny is there. There's laws and regulations to stop that, right? We're getting better. We're getting better at it, but they are there to stop that. It's the more subtle things in the tech industry that are causing more of an issue. The, Such as. the social stereotypes and the culture generally in tech. So, Give me an example. Social stereotypes in the sense that when you think of a guy working in tech, you think geek, generally. Yeah. Right. What would you think a geek looked like? Beard, uh, hoodie, uh, Zuckerberg-esque, thin, mm -hmm. non-sporty. Yeah. Right. Am I, am I in the so, right So that's part? a pretty good, strong stereotype, right? Yeah. Um, so I went onto Wikipedia and I edited, uh, edited the Wikipedia entry from someone with uh, a lack of social skills and um, what was it? A lack of social skills and they were hidden in a dark corner in a room, didn't, ha didn't talk to anyone, just sat in front of their computer, greasy hair, tied back. Yeah. That was pretty much what it was set, stated back in 2004 on Wikipedia. I changed it. I changed it to someone with a passion for technology, pa passion for a subject area and a depth of knowledge in that interest area. Okay. No genders, no descriptions, and it's kind of stuck. Has it? Yeah. There's okay. still that essence in there now. Uh, it caused a lot of um, lot of pushback from people because they wanted to own that stereotype still. So what would a, a typical stereotype of a female geek be then? Well, I don't think you can give one really these days. They're female for a start. Yeah. They work in the tech industry. Okay. So how, how else would you define a girl? Well, no, the reason they why have I a passion like, and a depth of knowledge. No, because I technology. asked that question is because I, I guess we were saying that you know, like my daughters, um, the 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 current vogue is to look pretty and yeah. you know, those stupid pouty selfies that they mm -hmm. all do and follow the Kardashians and yeah, that's not that. geeky though, is it? No, no. What I'm, that's what I'm saying. So the reverse of that is what you would see as a geek girl maybe which is less worried about so not really into their makeup doesn't really care about oh no they can still be into how um, they look this is no the i'm thing. talking about the stereotypical yeah. right so the presumption is oh well she's just you know she's a square in the corner she she probably wasn't she couldn't get a date at school she was the yeah, you know the, okay. the yeah, one yeah. who was on her own you know in the books and blah 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 she's intelligent but she's not the pretty girl yeah yeah that's I mean, if we're playing stereotypes, yeah, that's what yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So have we broken those moulds? Is that what you're saying? I think we're starting to. Because okay. when you start seeing the females that are speaking in the media and in the press, they don't fit that mould. So who's a good role model for a female geek in the press these days, then? Oh, uh, Anne-Marie Ifferden, who okay. runs Stemets. Don't she's, know. She's no. been covered in the news multiple times. Uh, she runs... a a community for young girls in tech and training them how to code and program and she's beautiful she's um not 
uh, white British traditional. She's got beautiful curly hair, similar facial colour to yours, and she's absolutely stunning. Right. But very, very articulate, incredibly intelligent, and very, very good at what she does. See, I mean, as I said, I've got two girls, and I would love them to have gone into computing. She would be a perfect role model for me. Yeah. You know, because that, as a role model, as you describe, um, is what, I mean... The girls have got a great role model in my wife who, who's... Uh, mm, you know, absolutely. Yeah, so they, they're very lucky in that sense. She's a very uh, successful businesswoman, so they will follow in her footsteps. And that's why my daughter's doing the I-didn't-know-what-to-do degree, <laughs> marketing and business. Um, but and she'll be fine. Uh, but I, I just really wanted them to have a modicum of coding skills because I still think in today's world, you know, we, we, we do maths and we do English. Yeah, so but we don't really do computing. We talk about it. Your girls kind of missed the change in uh, education stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's now come into play at schools. Well, they call it STEM, don't they? Yeah. Science, technology. Engineering and maths. Yeah. Or STEAM if you include arts. Yes, which people say is a very important part to include. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to dismiss that. <laughs> um, okay, so... Girl Geek Dinners. I've got it right four times, Sarah. Ha ha. <laughs> this um, is just because Sam ends up getting it wrong and calls it Geek Girl Dinners. Exactly. Um, which I think it should. No, it doesn't. Matter. <laughs> um, so that wasn't your job. That wasn't your career. No, that wasn't my day job. So um, you did a couple of other interesting companies that you worked for. One was a company called Tweet Meme, based out of Reading. Yes, that was a Nick Halstead company. Yes. Hello, Nick, if you're listening. Um, who or what was Tweet Meme? Tweet Meme did the little green retweet buttons. Do you remember those? And yes. then they, they took uh, all the retweet buttons from around the world and they prioritised them in the terms of the number of retweets to find the most common retweets okay, per day. So what it, what it was in the days when it mattered, because it doesn't matter now, you would have a little button. It, it was JavaScript, yeah? Yeah. So you injected a bit of JavaScript with a little button into every page. Yep. And people would then be able to say, oh, I've read this article. Oh, or I want I'm, to retweet it. And I want to retweet it, which was a fantastic You can still time. do that now. I have They're not nev- green anymore. They're just Twitter buttons. Yes, but I've never seen them. They're not really around as much. I mean, no. you get share buttons, but yeah. you don't really get them embedded in the same way. And what used to come down below them was a numeric number as well, yep. which was quite cool, which said how many times it had been retweeted. Yeah, so it showed the particularity of the post. Yeah, so uh, Nick, well, Nick, you, whoever else was in that office uh, in Reading, uh, came up with those. Yep. That was great. Um, and then Nick went on to do that, you were saying, for Facebook? Yeah, so he we, we then started collecting the data from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those different social media networks, and we we rebranded to DataSift, and I think it's now known as MediaSift, if I remember rightly. Okay. Um, and basically, they had access to data streams from all the major players, um, and you yeah, could aggregate. Yeah, I mean, rumor it. has it, and you don't have to confirm it, that Nick basically gave the Twitter button in exchange for the fire hose. I could probably say yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do know that to be a fact. Yeah. Obviously, I've spoken to Nick as well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, th- it was a fascinating place to be because it was just the right person in the right place at the right time. I think. Yeah. Um, so, but, but how do I go from one to the other? There's the question. Well, before we do get onto that, I just one of the things in today's world of privacy is that quite an overbearing privacy. I mean, look at Facebook's problems they've got with opening up the API to developers and stuff. And this is all public data, though. Well, is it? Because did people really know what was being in, in 
scraped fundamentally or, or taken. They wouldn't understand the technical implications of the data that was being shared back and yeah, forth through because buttons. you were saying, you know, you knew where I came from, you knew what I looked at on that page, you knew yeah, I where mean, I there, went to. There's a lot of... stops that yeah i mean i i don't think tweet meme would have survived under gdpr <laughs> probably not no so um anyway well done nick you got in got out and, <laughs> yeah. and moved on um okay so how did you go from tweet meme what happened next so i went from tweet meme to moonfruit i did some maternity cover for a friend of mine and who ran moonfruit uh wendy tan white and joe white yes and so it was a flash-based system for creating e-commerce platforms wasn't yes. it? yes so basically creating websites using flash but they also converted to html5 Right. And so you could still search it. A friend of ours, Layla Gregory, was there. Yep, yep. Uh, it was her cover that I was covering. <laughs> you were covering her cover. Okay. So, and what were you doing there when you were there? So I was doing their community management and marketing. Um, so you got out of coding? I got out of coding when I started working with Nick. Right. So Nick basically sat me down over dinner and said, I'm looking for someone to do our community management, um, build up our brand and do some rebranding. You've done that because Girl Keep Dinners went from one logo to another. I'd also been doing social media from day dot because that was before blogs were blogs and Twitter was Twitter. Um, so I was like one of the early, early kind of social media managers yep. in my spare time. And I wasn't being paid to do that. So I was so like, so I'd go and get paid. Well, I was like, well, I can either carry on coding at the rate or I can go and do something that I'm enjoying having fun at and not get so frustrated with all the documentation and the boring bits I don't enjoy. I can just go and have fun. Right. I can get paid to do the things I love. What's Why not? What's about that? So and I'm still working in a tech company. I've still, yeah. still got that tech background. I'm still using those skills, but not in the way that people think. Okay, so Moonfruit, I mean, we know it was successfully sold. Well yeah. done. Um, not you, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy, yeah. Wendy, Wendy, well done. Um, and what's she, what's she doing these days? I'm uh, she's heading up VC stuff. She's just about to move to the States. Oh, that's right. She's gone and joined Google's VC teams, yeah. hasn't she? Congratulations, Wendy. Yes, I do remember reading that recently. Um, okay, so after Moonfruit, where mm. do you go next? So after Moonfruit, I, I went self-employed. Um, I started doing contracting and I moved to Microsoft doing contracting for them. Who so are they? Never heard of them. Never heard of Microsoft. Never oh, they're, heard they're of those it. people that do like these these kind of window cleaning. Window cleaning. That yeah. used to be when I was at Microsoft and yeah. I told somebody I worked for a company that yeah, sold like windows. Windows, but not doors. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that company that does this operating system called Windows. Yeah. So I worked for them and I was looking after two of their brands called TechNet and MSDN. So right. MSDN is the Microsoft Developer Network. So if you were coding for Microsoft, you probably got one of my emails. And I'm so sorry to go and spam your inbox all that useful information. Yeah, mine went straight into the bin. <laughs> and TechNet was similar, but for the IT pros. And the same with that one as well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I joined Netscape by then. I didn't need to know anything from but, Microsoft. But it was good because I met, got to meet lots and lots of techies, talk lots a lot of geek, lots of geeky stuff, uh, meet them, go travelling around the country with TechNet and MSDN, um, and I loved it. It was a brilliant job. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was amazing. But um, yeah, life moves on. Life does move on. And so um, today, where are you today? What are you up to today? So now I work for DigiMe, um, which is a startup. But okay. it's been going where are for they a while. based? They're based um, near Farnham. Okay. So not too far away from me. And who runs DigiMe? Uh, DigiMe is uh, founded by Julian Ranger. He's the company chairman. Uh, we have two CEOs, one in the UK, one in the US. So is it a well-funded company? Now? It's a well-funded company, yeah. Okay. 
Yep. Both. How long has it been going? Oh, it was called Social Safe before it was known as DigiMe. So it's been going for about eight years on and off. Okay. So what is the premise of DigiMe then? So DigiMe gives the users back their data. Ah, that's nice. So if, for example, you wanted to collect your Twitter data and your Facebook data and you can keep a log of it and you can you can view it, you can see it. Um, you can also get, say, your medical data if you're in some countries. So how do I how do I get my data? So how do you I get download data? an app? You download the DigiMe app. Yep. You create a login. Um, you choose where you want to store your data. So that would be on some, something that you owned. So whether that's uh, OneDrive, Dropbox, well, we don't own those Google either. Drive, whatever. <laughs> but yes, I, um, I get your point. Somewhere so where somewhere that you're owning it. Yeah. Um, and then it connects up to you connect up to your twitter account your facebook account your instagram accounts uh so is it using apis to connect and get yeah the data it's using out? the apis so you get the full data that you've uploaded to those platforms right as you would if you went to any of the download points to say i want my data back and you get the live stream of that back to your phone i will certainly be trying this after this show yeah um look out for for more data sets coming okay uh, at the moment we've got financial and we've got health on its way great um, nhs yep wow okay that's how secure it is <laughs> good okay so it's a, it's a secure platform very secure and and it, what's the revenue model for you guys then so we're not going to be charging the individual to get their data back, obviously, because that's the wrong thing to do. Yes. Um, it's up to the individual then if they want to share that with companies. So what we're going to be focusing on is the companies collecting, wanting to collect data, requesting it from the individuals or integrating directly with us to create a portal where the individuals can access their personal data within their portals. And we're basically a white label at that okay. point. So... to the to the car place look around say i want to buy that car they could turn around and say we need to go and do a financial check yeah which they would would. it might come back and say no you haven't got the right credit rating however if you were using digime it could go and check your bank account see how much was actually in your bank account at the time and do comparisons between the two and say look there is actually that much money and a bit extra in that person's account they're absolutely fine to buy this car as a cash purchase. Why won't you let them do it? Okay, but so it, it, but it opens up doors that would potentially be close to an individual. But I mean, what is what is? I'm but in terms of the the revenue model, is yeah. is is a small percentage tran- for the bank transfers between for the data. Okay, so for the data transfer, yeah, the data transaction. Yeah, that. so okay, so, so there's there's something called Ubdi as well. Sorry, um, Ubdi, yes. which is a who named that. <laughs> some american <laughs> yeah seriously get a branding expert no it's um it's basically a a bitcoin style uh system where did you can connect to okay and um you can use it for funds transfers okay and you've got one other app you were telling me about earlier yeah so we've also got that effing post <laughs> yes yes and i won't say what the f means <laughs> friends yeah. moving on <laughs> but basically that one can uh analyze your personal data um and tell you whether or not you've posted something that you might want to remove before you go online and um go and apply for that job i will certainly be doing that half of my tweets will have to be deleted yeah anything rude certain. you don't you don't really want on there. yeah no I, I, I although i don't need a job and want a job so it doesn't really matter i don't care haha yeah um but that <laughs> But, but okay, so but that's it's all about consent, basically. No, I think I think what it is is you're right. It's about consent, but it's also about m- controlling and managing your own data, which yeah. I think is important.
versions we've gone through you know the first version of the web which was pretty clunky it was dial up it was black and white screens mm-hmm. data bandwidth wasn't there so it was text based uh, web 2.0 became much more graphical based um, web 3.0 was supposed to be the metadata layer mm-hmm. um, and the mobile web I guess was in between all that Yeah. so Tim Berners-Lee Sir Tim Berners-Lee yes. uh, he who made the web Yes, not he's not very happy about what he made. No, he's, he's got issues about HTTP. Yeah, yeah. He, he says he would get rid of using that in front. Um, he doesn't know why he did it. <laughs> um, in fact, there was... ...which was based on how he saw it on the next computer. Yeah. So you could actually scan the current internet based on his view of the internet at the time. But anyway, I digress. Um <laughs> So, so okay. So he's been rightly and wrongly, or well, you tell me rightly or wrongly, uh, banging on about this product called Solid. That's his new company or his new project. His new project, yeah. Yeah, the company's called something else, I think. Um, what is? Do you know anything about it? What's behind it? Solid's an interesting platform. It's basically the how to describe it redistribution of the internet almost um starting again from scratch and rebuilding it in a different way okay it's a completely you need different to architecture that all together <laughs> why is it different why are we rebuilding it um so basically he's talking about having multiple uh servers with new new ways of transferring data between computers okay so i've heard of two one's called ipfs the internet protocol file system which mm-hmm. is to replace https yeah uh, and then I've heard of the other one, which is the Ocean Protocol. Yeah. Um, what's Tim's? So Tim's solid system is different again to those okay. in some ways. Um, because he's trying to ensure that everyone is uh, identifiable on the internet. Across the internet. Uh, but why, why does he want everyone to be identified? Partly because the way the internet is currently, it can be used for good or evil. And he's not happy about the way the internet was used. Okay. I mean, was he naive? I mean, I've had lunch with Tim in the early, early days when he wasn't famous. Mm. Um, I couldn't get near him now. For I don't money, think but he was naive. I think the the issue with the internet as it was back in the, the, the 1980s, which is when I was born, um, was very different to how it is now it's got an awful lot more uses than anyone would have ever imagined way back then it was classed as something to be able to transfer knowledge and transfer information from a to b it was never intended as a platform to be able to sell and do all sorts of amazing things that you can do online now but also some of the more horrendous things that you see happening online yeah i mean i'm just on the site now and it says um tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web. Uh, the project aims to radically change the way web applications work today, resulting in true data ownership as well as improved privacy, which yeah. is great. And I know uh, um, Vince Cerf, who invented the internet or the IP protocol underneath the internet, uh, has always said he wished he'd built security into yeah. the IP, mm. which it doesn't exist. And I saw somewhere this week um, DNS, which is the domain namespace server um, that allows when you do a request for a website. Obviously, you know this, Sarah. I'm explaining it to other people. Um, 
if you make a request for, let's say, the Microsoft website, actually it's an IP address that it's looking for. Yeah. And it's the friendly name is Microsoft.com. Yeah, but um, underneath it it's a load of numbers with Yeah, because none of us could remember that. Um, but um, that uses a DNS server, which is you know, replicated databases around saying, oh, do you know where that one exists? Yeah, it's over here. And then yeah. it goes to that. Um, they're looking at putting in something called DNSSEC, the secure version of DNS everywhere, yeah. and trying to move to an IPv6 because we're on an yeah. IPv4. Yeah. So without getting deeply technical, yeah. um, it looks like we're trying to move to a more secure, trusted, underlying architecture. Absolutely. Which is brilliant. Um, but I guess the one thing that we've seen, and, and I can see why Tim's trying to do this, is... The, the, the reverse we've gone to what i would call in web 1.0 2.0 it was a distributed network let's say do you yeah. remember napster yeah, yeah, yeah. the peer-to-peer networking so we had that yep and then we have gone to i guess what i would best describe as client server networking now again yeah. you know facebook owns the data google owns its data yep netflix has it snap has it all of them have siloed yeah they're data. all silos I mean, even worse, um, I think it was only this year, no, last year, that, you know, you can't now integrate Twitter and Facebook, so you can't cross-pollinate. So, yeah, it feels like they're all... More gardens. Yeah, they're all going back to that horrible world we lived in pre-internet, really. Um, So, I guess is. So, this would then open that back up. So, is Digimi part of this... I don't know, we're not... It's not Personali- officially named Web 4.0. Give it a, give well, it we some. can call it Web 4.0. We'll it's personalization it of, da- of data, basically, yeah. and, and personal data ownership. Okay. Um, Person-centric data, I think, is what they call yeah, it I mean, now. What's it? Um, there's the... Have you come across the Brave browser, which is um, uh, basically a browser from the guy who was at Mozilla, um, whose name has gone for me for a minute, but it'll come back. Um, and the idea is they're trying to build attention tokens the idea is that you you can control your data own your data and exchange your data for value so um, uh, I might want to exchange my name address telephone number but in reverse the company has to give me something like a token of value which is a bitcoin in in their case Um, and then the other part of that conversation is um, they know how much attention you gave so um, companies can then get paid more for the amount of stuff people read. So yeah, if yeah. you only read the headline, you get very little. If you read the whole s- document, you get more. Yeah, how much How much is your time actually worth at that point? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it? It, I've seen, unfortunately, and I've also co-developed applications that are based around attention. Mm. Yeah, uh, and if you YouTube me, there's a, a whole video about me doing it. Yeah. And um, I just don't think people are that bothered. No, I don't think they are when it comes to that side of things. When it comes to their personal data, particularly data that is unique to them and that actually would make a difference in their lives if they owned it, like, for example, their health data, like their financial data, that becomes more interesting, particularly if they travel at all or particularly if they're ill whilst abroad. Um, For example, knowing what immunizations you've had um, if you're over in the States and you suddenly become ill, if you're um, traveling to this country from over in the States, for example, and you need to be able to get your diabetes medication. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, health data is very... 
in very combination. critical. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, um, so a lot of people are talking about Apple right now saying, you know, they're, they're flatlined with a lot of their revenues. Mm. Um, yes, they're making a truckload of money still. They're making billions. So please don't think Apple's going away anywhere soon. But, um, you know, they took a dip. <coughs> they didn't make more than 80 billion. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's crisis time. <laughs> um, but um, the Apple Watch, which I am thinking of investing in the next one, oh, I keep you? saying the next one and I will do it. No, 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 no. I've gone backwards in watches. Well, no, the reason why is because I'm old and yeah. um, I'm getting to the point where I probably have to worry about my blood pressure, heart attacks and all that <laughs> stuff. You're far too young. You don't care about that yet. But for me, um, I'm thinking about, oh, actually, that's that's quite an interesting yeah. device. I might like to use that. Well, wouldn't you like your GP to be able to check that stuff? No, <laughs> knowing my GP, no. No? no seriously. <laughs> they make you do some more exercise. Well, no, they'll they probably, probably just give me some tablets which i hate and i don't need I, mean, <laughs> I remember my poor dad had 18 tablets i said to his doctor why do you need them i can't remember no idea um so but but yeah i i, I want it more um for the case of you know personal data mm. but a lot of people saying apple um is the company who will probably in the health space be the best one to go with because of their policy i guess on protecting your privacy and personalized data um, as opposed to Google or Facebook. Would you have a Facebook watch giving your health data? No, no. I also wouldn't have an Apple watch giving my health data. Really? Even if it was secured locally and it was only for you? No, because Apple at the moment say that they're secure and all the rest of it, but you they allow other companies to harvest data still at the moment through mm. the app stores. Yes, yes. We've had that recent issue mm. of enterprise certificates. So can you trust them still? Well, I think... Uh, I'm not a. I used to be a massive Apple fanboy. I have to say, mm. I'm less of an Apple fanboy now. But I still think the fact is that they're only into privacy for one reason. Because it makes money. No, they failed in advertising. <laughs> no, seriously. If you remember, they came out when the iPhone was around about iPhone four or five, yeah. and they had little ads that were going to appear along the bottom of the browser window, and oh. they were going to have all sorts of other ads. And blah blah blah, and they're going to be in, in the apps. And yeah, they else. can't be an ad company. Yeah, well, they tried and it failed, and so they turned what was a bug or a, a failure into a feature by saying, "Well, actually, we don't sell our data, and we are about your privacy." So they turned the fact that their ad model failed, mm. whereas Google and Facebook have gone through the roof with it, uh, into, I guess, a strength, which is we now have a platform that, you know, we can. So are they a data company or are they a? a hardware company there's a question yeah no that is a question i i, I still think they they are a hardware company but going out of hardware quite quickly i mean mm. they've already gone out of networking i mean at the wrong time perversely um so i used to have an apple router and apple extenders mm -hmm. airport yeah yeah um the irony is back in the day Apple used to be the company for design. Do you remember? Yes. And it was the designers that loved Apple. It wasn't the developers. It wasn't the general public. It was the designers. Yeah. And, and that's their, their, the education market yeah. and design market and the creative market. But but the, the, the early Apple MacBook Airs, and, and well, yeah. not the early MacBook Airs, but the, when, when Steve Jobs announced the MacBook Air, it was a beautiful thing. I've yeah. Got and it was always about the hardware. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, and, and they failed massively in uh, online services, although mm. that's their fastest growing business. But I think, you know, they are, I, I looked at the uh, apple.me website mm. recently once and I went, 
oh my god someone with crayons <laughs> just designed just this drew on it, yeah. it's awful um but going back to it so you know so i think the apple watch i think their focus on privacy which mm-hmm. obviously is i think is a bug turned into a feature mm. um, and their ability to protect and harvest that data has to be their growth model because phones isn't a growth model no clearly not because they keep making them more and more expensive and selling less of them yeah and we're going to come on and talk about mobile phones shortly um and i I think i would certainly never trust facebook with my data for health um Uh, yeah (laughs) i mean the 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 irony is that um you know what we worry about i guess is um the more personal data that we get like health Mm. um and other things what websites i look at what what eating habits I have, what drinking habits I have, insurance companies are going to start to use that data to determine. Start to use? They're already using it. They, they are. No, there was a there was an example I think last two weeks ago in New York where an insurance company now can access your Facebook data yeah. to determine uh, your lifestyle. You know, are you sedentary or are you active? And on based yeah. on that, they're setting a policy on you. Yeah. So we're seeing it already, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sure. So going back to DigiMe very quickly and Solid. So the goal is to manage and control your own data. Yeah. With the goal of what, I guess, at the end of the day? If you're the one that's controlling your data, you can choose who to share it with and how you share it, more importantly, and how to revoke it. Yes. Now, that's that's the critical part, revoking access. Mm. I mean, I've always wanted to develop a... uh, so you can have this idea because I'm never going to develop it. Um, a contact management system yep. uh, where all I have in my phone book is one contact. Mm-hmm. Okay, that doesn't make sense, Mr. Seffi. You're a madman. Um, no, it, the idea is I look after my own contact. So I go, you know, who I am, numbers, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then I set access levels to who can get to that data. Yep. And then people then subscribe to that in whatever format that may be. Um, and so they get a copy of my data, but it's a push from my... They were in, in the terms of Digimi, the data never leaves your device. Right. So they, they would be allowed to act, to view it. They wouldn't be allowed to edit it. Um, a copy, the, the original always stays on your device. You don't, yeah. you don't need to leave. Yeah, and that's so what it's, I'm saying. So it's a certificate, basically, that says, yes, you can have a look. Right. And you can only look at these things. Um and at any point, I can turn around and say, I don't want you to access that anymore. You're not having access. So because I'm, yeah, yeah, it's a consent certificate. It basically says... Which is perfect. This is, this is, this is mine. I'm giving you consent in much the same way as you go f- if you're going for a drink and you say, I give consent to, to take you out for dinner <laughs> and, or, or whatever. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> you know, you've ne- you never, never asked to take a woman out to dinner. I have done that, so, but so I've never thought said of yes, it as a certificate. <laughs> but it's a consent. It's a form of consent. Okay. Uh, um, right? That's totally changed my view on dating. <laughs> but yes, that, that would be the geek putting in you. it into so a different context. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the geek in you. I am now giving you a certificate. There you go, young man. You can take you me can out to dinner. You can now take me out to dinner. No. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> No, I get it. I see what your point is, which is um, you are giving that consent. That's what I'm saying. So, but but what are the protocols or what are the interfaces? What are the UIs that are going to be generic enough? Because obviously, if you DigiMe have an interface and yep. Solid has an interface, and yep. 
20 other companies exist have so there's interface. lots of standards around data right namely go on fine give me oh, one don't ask me i'm oh. the developer on this oh, okay. <laughs> i thought you're gonna have them there no, listed no. out i'm i i am not going to be doing doing that part i'm not going to go that but that's the problem geeky. but I there are there are for example in health there's things like hl7 and such such like so there are standards in within most data types okay. within banking there's open data okay. um so You've got the transfer protocols that are all there in place because some of these transfers have to go into company anyway already. So we can build on those, particularly when they're open platforms and they're now having to expose those for the GDPR. Right. So so, so let's take a scenario. I could, in effect, I'm not saying today, go to Digime, create my account, yep. go to my NHS data. You can't do that yet. No, I'm saying <laughs> when it's available. But yep. I can do my banking. You can do your banking. Right. So I could access my data and that would give me historical records of yep. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Now I control it. Obviously, there's not two NHSs, so I can't really revoke access to it and I can't take my data away from them. You're not sharing your data to them at that point. You're collecting your data from them. Right. So we haven't, we ha for the likes of uh, TFP, for example, you could share your, share your data with them. Right. Um, because you, it's two sides, right? There's push and there's pull. There's giving and there's get. Yep. Okay. You either give your data or you get your data. Okay. With the likes of, say, the NHS or your banks, you're you're getting your data. That's becoming under your control. Um, however, with the likes of TFP, where you're saying, I need you as a service to go and find me uh, all my posts that have got really naughty swear words in them so that I don't go to my job interview and really embarrass myself. Yeah. So on that sense, the, you've then got the push. So at that point, you're pushing your data out saying, I need this data analysed. And you can either pay for a service or you can ask someone to do it in return for something else. If it was, say, an insurance company, I want to buy insurance, but I need you to understand that I'm not the high risk that you thought maybe I was. Yeah. So, OK, but this model needs to develop a oh, lot clearly, more. Yeah. I mean, this is early stage. This is this is uh, a, a young company in yeah. some ways. So I, I like the idea of a peer to peer distributed network. That's what blockchain yeah. is based on anyway. I mean, we, that's another technology. Yes, and database. this can sit on top of blockchain. Right. So, and, and for those who don't know, I'm sure everyone does that. You know, blockchain is a database, but with one key critical yeah. value, which is called non repudiation. Yeah. The ability not to change the record yeah. once it's submitted. Yeah. So it's a, a transactional record. Great for buying houses, buying cars, yeah. uh, those sorts of things where you don't want the record to be tampered or changed. Yeah, anything where you you need to be able to have a verifiable um, purchase route um, and history. Yeah. So, okay, so <laughs> whether it's called Web4, I don't think, I think we've got to stop naming them after that. Although, <laughs> funny enough, Wi-Fi now has gone to naming it Wi-Fi 6. Yeah, I know. And... Uh, what was it? Uh, President Trump wants 6G. He's not happy with 5G. He wants no, 6G. No, I saw that. It made me laugh. Yeah, he, yeah, the man. Hmm. Although 6G, I, I have read about 6G. So he's, Different technology. Well, it's the one which will allow us to cut the cables finally. But let's let's struggle with 5G at the moment. Yeah. Um, that's not even out, um, which is a great interlink to talk about mobile phones. Indeed. Um so this week there was a little bit of a problem with 5G and uh, 4G. But before we get on to that, what is 5G? Do you know? Uh, Do, how would you define how, how would I define 5G? Faster? Cheaper? Um, more like mesh networking almost in some ways. Um, so I'm testing your geek credentials now. 
to be honest, it's not something I've been working on. So it's, <laughs> my, it's my hobby rather than my job. Okay. So what what it is is shortwave radio form. Yeah. Um, so although 4G allows us to have big antennas and 3G as well, 5G are much more little disks that will sit in shorter distances. Hence the mesh network. Comment. Yeah, exactly. And you were right. I wasn't saying you were <laughs> wrong before I get told off. Um, it's all right. It's a very old-fashioned term, mesh networking. That was bantered around back in 2004. Yeah. I mean, and I think I think what's good about 5G, as you said, is going to be um, a faster pipe, 100 megabits per second, as an example, as opposed to, let's say, what have we got now? I, I think 4G would be about well 20. Towns. Yeah, it, it, the trouble is rural where we are today mm. i mean how will it bounce out i mean again although a lot of people said that each house can become its own 5g repeater in effect and yeah. um, there are values in mobile operators saying look have our 5g um receiver yeah. but that will work within your own home as well so you can cut all the, the wi-fi cables out blah 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 don't know if you'll do that whether you'll have 5g replacing broadband totally I'm not convinced it will replace it totally. I don't. Having not tried it yet, you can't really see how it would how how much drop off there is between locations. I think the further out you go, the quicker it drops well, off. Well, I, d- I remember three G to four G, and yeah. you know, I remember the first time it flashed up on my phone. Oh, I've got four G, and it, and it and was it was fast. Right? It was quick, and, and, and then we started building bigger and bigger. Well, no, more software people and started more, using it. More images and more data. Yeah, but also more people. All up, right? More people came onto four G, of course, and so suddenly. Too. You know, where and you're I had, streaming video. And yeah. Well, I had the whole antenna to myself, and then suddenly people started coming on. And but you were so disappointed. I was. <laughs> I was like running around to people, get off it. No. Um, it, it, it's what, you know, obviously they, they cram as many people onto one yeah. uh, antenna as they can so that, that it's cost it's a cost-effective model. It also cuts out the amount of usage of the other bandwidths, right? So then you start thinking about what are they going to get used for again next? Well, that's interesting, yeah. I mean, I think we, we've talked about, or in the past, the analogue network for TVs, that, mm. that you know, killing that because it's digital TV. I don't know what the dead cut-off date has. It, it hasn't happened yet, I know that. But 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 when? It must be imminent. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, once... Um, I, th- I don't think they'll kill 3g 4g backhauls i think well they killed off 2g didn't they yes recently yeah Mm. but um i think 5g by all accounts we're going to get 5g phones in fact i think there was the first 5g phone announced this week it was the um me mix 5g at the barcelona um conference yeah mobile world congress great fun it's my favorite conference of the year but Mm. i'm not there why is it your favorite conference of the year Because it's not even about the devices when I go there. It's about the hardware and what's coming rather than what's being announced for me. Yeah, but Samsung announced this week the the Samsung Galaxy, the foldable phone. The foldable phone, yes. But they did that outside of the mobile web conference. They did. So then they have everybody turning up at the conference to their stand. So it's completely mobbed because that's what they've done in previous years. with The edging on the phones and things like that. So then you can't get near the stand and it becomes a a big PR stunt at that point for them. Okay, so for those who don't know, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people do, um, uh, Samsung announced the Galaxy S10 foldable phone. Mm. Um, Have you seen it online? I mean, obviously... I've seen seen the pictures, yeah. 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 I've seen the specs. I've I've got the specs via email, so Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on a foldable phone? I... 
I feel like it's going backwards to go forwards, if that makes sense. Um, back in the early 2004s, 2005s, we had foldable phones, right? So they had did buttons. We? Yeah, yeah, we did. What, you mean the, the clamshell ones? The clamshell phones, oh, but okay. they also had a Symbian that had two screens that folded. Do you oh, remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was also the Casios. The up. Casios, yes, they, they had were good. them. Yeah. The clamshell ones. It never worked. Okay. You ended up with one screen that you put input on and one screen that you looked at. Which is not very Which is useful. Not very useful, right? Because no. they split them. Because yeah. they were split screens. Having them all as one makes it more usable. It gives you more screen space. But your hand is only a certain size, right? Yes, and then we get into the <laughs> challenge of men versus women, but let's not go down that road as well. <laughs> I was going to say, small hand size doesn't yes. work so well for me. I, I struggle with, with my phone as it is now because it's, it's wide. That's a, a, an iPhone 6? No, it's not. It's a OnePlus 6. A OnePlus, okay. Yeah, but, it's, um, but it's wide and you can't use it single-handed. You have to use no, it two-handed. No, they are a two-handed phone. And yeah. most phones these days are going two-handed. Yes. As a parent, it's an absolute nightmare. Right. One child, one hand. <laughs> Right, you you've got two children. You've got two no children. Hope. Two, two, yeah, no hope. Absolutely no. no hope. The number of times I've dropped my phone because of it. Okay. I can see these expensive devices landing on the floor too many times. They okay. have to be not breakable if they're going to be in that format. But they're still quite brittle screens. They are indeed. I mean, but but going back to the foldable, do you find? Yeah. So it's I'm, still it's double thickness, right? Yeah. As well, so yeah. pocket wise. It's not going to fit in your pocket. You've got a handbag. You don't put it in your pocket. Yeah, but you're a bloke. You've got pockets. You use them for your phones, right? You sit on your phone. Yes. Right, you're sitting on that screen. Do you think that's going to work? Because it's on the outside. It's not on the inside. Yeah, I don't know. You've got other things in your pockets. Well, I think bomb dialing is going to go up in in usage, (laughs) isn't it? I'm going to be calling all sorts of people now. I'm sure it turns off when you go flat, right? I hope so. Otherwise, (laughs) or uh, even worse, it takes a picture. That could be even (laughs) worse. And sending pictures. Oh, my Lord. Um, No, what I wanted to ask was, um, has the mobile phone industry got to the point where laptops did in many ways, it's peaked mm. at value in terms of feature and function. Um, are, is there a user demand for a foldable phone or is it a industry trying to find the next trick? A bit like, so I'll give you an example, 4K TVs and yeah. and. And then there was a, a time we had 3D TV. And then the curve TVs. And, and all yeah. those things. And and I know very few people who've gone down that road. I mean, I had the chance to buy a 4K TV and I went, why? There's not enough 4K content yet. Yeah, I was going to say there's 5K. Well, yeah, uh, well, there's now. 8K now. 8K, 8K. yeah. So, and you can't get the content on them these days. No, and I mean, look, I, I think OLED screens now are reaching the point where I think the, the new iPhones, the new uh, yeah. Samsung phones. You can't see the difference to the naked eye. Mostly. Can't we? Uh. From a photographer point of view, uh, really, or I very mean, detailed. The blacks are meant to be blacker. I don't get that, but that's what it says. Um, sharper imagery. Anyway, look, that's where we are with screens. Yeah. Okay, But but I think that's reached peak. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm sure there's more beyond it. Um it's a bit like the Gillette. No, you wouldn't know this. <laughs> I was going to say Gillette razors. We've gone from three razors to four razors to five razor blades in a man's razor blade, right? And it was like, what? We're going to have ten they blades. They did the same on the women's ones. Don't worry. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, I clearly, clearly, I've never used. That. And the women buy the men's ones too. Oh, do they? Okay. <laughs> clearly, I know nothing. Um, right. So, um, going back to this though. So, is the foldable phone 
a gimmick or is it a real value add? I mean, from the screens you've seen online, I guess until you get it in your hands, it's hard to tell. Quite honestly, I can't see it being anything more than a gimmick. Um, I can't see a usage scenario that makes me feel like I'd have to have one. Um, they're very pretty. They look kind of cool. The price, though, of them makes them an executive toy. Well, $2,000, really. Yeah, is, executive toy money. Well, even for an executive toy, I mean, I think you'd have to be a pretty high-up exec to mm. want to have one. It's, it's a status symbol to, Absolutely. to pull it out go, oh, look at my it's phone. It's like having the gold phones, isn't but, it? But somebody said, rightly, there's no apps for it because the apps won't no. know how to work. Said, Do you remember the old days when the iPad first came out? And all the iPhone Everything apps. was on little and it was it huge screens. And it right? was, then, then it just blew up and it was pixelated. I mean, so now you've got double screens and, and fundamentally it's an iPhone 6 or an iPhone or, or your OnePlus, as you say. You know, f- two of those Join soldered together, together with a, you know, where the join is. It's now a bit of screen, actually. Yeah, um, it's... It's that's not it. helpful for the developers, that's for sure, because it's well, yet another screen combination they have to cater for, potentially, if they, if they sell. This is the thing. If they sell, otherwise they won't bother. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was looking at the specs of the, you know, um, I think LG have come out with a new phone this week. It's the LG 6.1 G8, I think. Uh, has a speaker embedded in the screen, front camera that scans the user's palm to unlock, labels non-touch gestures, but it's got 6 gig of RAM, yeah. right? Um, Sony unveils a 6.5-inch Xperia 1 with cinematic uh, 4K HDR OLED mm-hmm. screen. You know, Snapdragon 855, which is the one before 5G, um, 6 gig of RAM, 12 megabit cameras, three cameras in the back. And then there's another company that's come out with five cameras. It just feels like they're all throwing stuff at it and we've reached peak. Peak. Well, the thing is, for me, the next generation of mobile phones are the mobile phones you don't see. Okay. The mobile phone that's embedded into your bag embedded into your clothing and you, you don't really care about it it's a it's a piece of hardware and actually you your interface with it is talking to talking to it or using a pair of glasses that it happens to project onto yeah or whatever. i have heard that theory about people breaking fundamentally so we, we've spent the best part of a decade integrating everything into a phone yeah. right and i have heard that you know one trend may be so we talked about the apple watch you know yeah. having some of the functionality like notifications and heartbeat they could have they could have integrated some of that into a phone but they've yeah. chosen not to um, yeah, I think some some phones, some watches these days, you can integrate the SIM card directly into the watch. You yeah, don't well, need I mean, a phone at that the point. Apple Watch allows you to make mm. calls like Dick Tracy, which is totally <laughs> mad. Um, but with your headphones, you don't look like Dick Tracy. No, I, and have you got AirPods? I don't have an Apple device. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I don't do Apple. Well, okay, Samsung have come out with their own version yeah. of it. I still think they look weird. They remind me of the old guys who used to have those bluetooth headphones yeah, yeah, I know they what just you mean. look so i have normal headphones that have just got a little microphone associated yeah. with them that yeah, just I'm the same. wireless headphones i've got some beats wireless ones when i go out on my bike and stuff you know but uh, and they've got little over the ear clips because i've got stupid ears if i had an airpod they'd just drop out i'd lose 75 oh, I, I don't i i would lose them if they were independent they they have to be attached for me yes um there are some new ones that have come out like that yeah, I mean, there's both ones that sit on your sit on your neckline, and they actually don't go in your ears at all. They just yeah. quietly do. do and there's stuff. another one that was a bone induction one that sits on the yeah. side of your face. So, although I, I'm not sure that that would be comfortable necessarily. Yeah, depends if you've got an ear.
from what I'm picking up then, thinking of a foldable phone? Or would, no. Or would you upgrade to one? I might test one when they send them out, but I won't be upgrading to one deliberately. I, I don't do upgrades. I, I get devices sent to me to review and try out. So Lucky you. I, I've been reviewing devices since day dot. It's been like one of my things. Um, so the OnePlus is a review device. It's not even mine. Yeah, see, look, you can't see, obviously it's radio and podcasting, um, I've got an iPhone 6s Plus still. I haven't yeah. seen any need to upgrade. Um, and most people don't. No, um, although I did upgrade my MacBook Air. Um, yeah, but that's different, right? You use that day in, day out. Yeah, no, I, I had a 4-gig version uh, of RAM and I needed the 8-gig of RAM because apps had just got bigger and yeah. fatter. Yeah, um, I mean, devices and screens generally are used for consumption of information rather than creation these days. So mobile phones are all about data consumption and image consumption, really. But will they become data input devices, creative devices in that sense, or is it still going to be big screens and laptops? Well, it's, it's already, you've got the cameras and stuff like that, but when you start adding in the likes of um, VR and the multidimensional data, mobile phones don't have the technology in them. You've got to have separate cameras for um for, for multi-dimensional room environments and stuff like that. Which is a wonderful intro. Well done. <laughs> you might have done this before, I think. Um, Microsoft debuts ARM-powered HoloLens 2, oh. which is their virtual reality um, headspace. Um, it's more comfortable, lighter, with a field view twice as wide as its predecessor and cheap at half the price at $3,500. That's expensive, isn't it? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about VR. So virtual reality. Yeah. Um, I, I remember being in Netscape and there was a technology called VRML, yep. virtual reality markup language. And yep. there were multiple third worlds that used it. And I remember people coming to us to develop, you know, 3D models for mm -hmm. stands and, you know, uh, kitchen makers yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, it never really took off. No. Okay. Um, VR gaming. I'm not a gamer, but VR gaming. That's quite big now. Yeah. I mean, how is it? I mean, a lot of people are still on Fortnite and, and. There's a lot of new games due out in the next 12 months that have got VR integrated into how many How many kids do you know can afford three and a half grand? They don't end up buying the three and a half grand kit. They they buy the Google equivalents and the. The, 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 the cheaper the Oculus okay. is. They're, they're much cheaper. Or the H, if you're going slightly more expensive, HTC Vive. Don't go with the pro unless you're a business, right? But it's it's that kind of technology that people are going for because they integrate, or the PS4 VR headsets, for example, because they're part of the, the range. They right. work. So you're then looking at devices that are much more accessible, a bit more reasonably priced, but not that cheap. But compare it to the type of setups that people have in their homes where they've got this room set aside for computers and they've got th two or three screens for gaming. Get rid of the screens, put in a headset, and you've got your room back, right? No, I, oh look, I, I've never tried it. You've tried it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's motion sickness a lot of people say that they have a problem with. Yeah, it, that depends on the refresh rates, on the frame rates. Um, if it's one of the HTC products, generally you don't have that issue. Some of the earlier generations of Oculus had that issue. I've got the Lenovo uh, Explorer, and that's slightly low on its refresh rate but I've never had a problem my friend Lou she tried it on and she was like oh I feel ill <laughs> she had to take it off yeah some, and, some people just can't wear it but she's got worse eyesight than I have I mean I've, okay. I've got glasses but her glasses are quite strong okay um, so it really depends on 
what you're used to and there's refresh rates on your own screens at home as well it, it's very much personal yeah i mean I, I i see vr being used in the world of games and pro i think you're right you know if you're an engineer and you need to learn to do something or medical yeah. uh, operating whatever i can see those applications coming out yeah um i i personally can't see myself jumping onto the vr bandwagon right now i just don't i'd love it for tech i'd love it as a software engineer being okay. able to go into a virtual space and and manipulate code like the minority report no better than the minority uh, report. better than the minority okay <laughs> minority report you could just kind of flick things around and and do all that stuff with this you could manipulate the actual code structures Okay. I mean, imagine be like like art almost. I, I mean, I can imagine moving data around would yeah. be interesting, and, and but I still think we're a long way off. I still oh think yeah, it's way off. Way I off. think we're right, a decade away. Um, AR is what I'm more interested in: augmented yeah. reality, um, layering the internet onto the real world. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's where mobile comes back into it. Yeah, and I think I think for me, I I I know, I know that I'm living in a pre-AR world, mm. and I, I'm desperate to get it. I mean. Heads-up displays on cars is about the nearest you get to it, yeah. as an example, where you know you can layer on your car data onto what you're driving in. Have you ever tried um, augmented reality ski goggles? No. 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 They're going quite down fun. a mountain. And they're cheap. Going down a mountain fast enough. Oh, I, okay, I know what you mean. Where they put the speed yeah, in there. They put and the, the speed and the location and yeah, where, yeah. where your runs are and all the rest yeah. of it. It's amazing. No, actually, that may be my next purchase. I, I could imagine doing that. I mean, AR is something I would mm. love to get bigger into. Uh, I mean, I obviously chased the Pokemon Go once and, and <laughs> did it once and then. I think most bored. people tried it and, fa- and decided well, actually, they had enough. D- did you see brilliantly this week in Pokemon Go, um, a woman sued the company behind Pokemon Go, uh, Nantech or whatever they're called. Um, because they'd placed a Pokemon on her driveway. People kept landing <laughs> on the driveway. And it, it was a fact. She, she said, "In you have no right... In to the, my face, yeah. Yeah, in my digital in digital rights, that. So um, there's a massive issue in AR and VR that's going to yeah, come. Yeah. I mean, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air uh, this week, you know, he tried to uh, copyright his dance. <laughs> uh, and uh, they said, no, it's not a dance. It's just a series of moves that you copied from someone else. Yeah. Because they, in Fortnite, was it Fortnite? Yeah, in Fortnite, they had a, an avatar do the dance from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all the right moves, but it wasn't him. And he tried to sue them for it. And, of course, he lost. So I think there's a massive... Anyway, we digress. That's a massive can yeah. of worms about copyright and digital rights in ar and vr but so vr uh well i I'm, I'm gonna look and see some of the videos about what microsoft hololens are doing um i'm still not 100 percent convinced i think google seem to have taken a back seat a little bit on that facebook don't seem to have anything that i'm aware of. i mean obviously they've got oculus and rift and, yeah um but i don't see anything really going on um okay um so we've I don't know if we covered everything in the mobile space. I mean, the big things are foldable phones and, yeah, yeah. I, I, and 5G. So is the iPhone X something? God knows what they're going to call it. Y. Um, <laughs> the iPhone Y. Um, what is that going to be a foldable phone with 5G? And, and You can never quite tell with Apple, can you? Because... Quite a, quite often they've done small step changes recently. They've never not done one of their big 
adjustments for well, a while. As I said, I've got an iPhone 6S. I haven't seen anything other than a better camera. It, it used to be you skipped every other, right? Yeah. That used to be the rule. Yeah, once the, upon you go a time. for the six or the then the. You just S. So you avoid the S's basically. Yeah. You go for the majors well, and not the minors. Right? <laughs> missed that one. I went for the S <laughs> and missed the others. Yes, but that that tended to be the the approach. These days, you don't really do that with Apple. You wait until your device breaks and then you get a new one, because it it doesn't have that innovative step that they used to have. Yeah, I mean, my, <laughs> they lost it a long while ago. In my family, I've got the worst phone, considering I'm the techie. Um, so my daughter's got an 8 and the other one, no, one's got an 8 and one's got an X. Yeah. And me and my wife somehow have managed to stick on these six S's. Um, oh, so you become the technology Luddites. We are, completely, <laughs> yeah. So this is how this is how the tech life cycle works, right? Yeah, but they don't know anything about it. I mean, they're, just, they're consuming it. They couldn't, they wouldn't know. Could they use everything that they've got on those devices? I yeah, they're great with Snapchat. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you look at how much they power those devices I have know. And, and what they could potentially do with them and they're not even touching a third of what they can do no i mean and they are the ultimate consumers of technology yeah. they're not but techies they're also the ultimate example of how marketing and pr works beautifully at a younger audience and pushes them to the edge of ex- exactly what they could have but actually doesn't give them the ability to utilize it yeah well so uh, I wonder what else is going to come out. I don't think anything else interesting really is going to come out of Mobile World Congress this week. I mean, I'd be surprised. Um, I I personally, okay, I'm going to say it. I want an Amazon phone. Why? Why? Because Why do you I'm want more data going back to Amazon. Oh, I give up. I'm all, they've got everything about me now already. They know they know what toilet paper I like. They know the kitchen roll I want. They know everything. And well, what's the point? I don't care. They know what you read. They know what I read. They know what, they know what, what I listen to. So <laughs> I have I, I have audible books. They know everything I read. They know everything I buy. So I don't care. I want the value from it. I want. Yeah. So um, actually, no. I'm genuinely do want an Amazon phone. The, the reason is I'm I'm mad for uh, Miss Alexa. Yes, I, think. I gathered. Um, yes, I've got six or seven at the moment. I, I think, think I've got two. Now. Yeah. And, so, and I've only had them for a few months. Oh really? What yeah. did you get? Um, the hub. Yeah because I've got uh, other home automation stuff um, and just a, a dot that's okay. in my study so then I can just talk talk to it and find the news out and keep up to date on stuff when I go to work. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got six and I won't go into why um, because I have. Because um, <laughs> uh, you want to be listening to everyone in every room of every house, Oh, right? because I, again, GCHQ, hello. <laughs> no, they are not listening. No one cares what I've got to say. Honestly, you're seriously. just white noise to them, right? Yeah, I mean, you're one of those ones that causes them no, nothing but trouble because yeah. you just create too much noise for them. Well, all they get from me is my shopping list and, and crap music. Really, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not really sure what they're getting any value from. Um, but what I would say is um, the reason going back to why I want an Amazon phone. Um, first of all. It combines with AR. So do you know the Amazon app on your phone has AR built into it? Yeah. So it's brilliant. You can go and use the camera icon within the Amazon app, point it at an object, and it'll find that object or a similar object on the Amazon store. Yeah. That's the best first use of AR that I like. Yeah, makes sense. Um, secondly, I want native Alexa. So within the Amazon Music app, you can ask Madame A... Mm. to play music and if you've got it in your car leave it open mm. and it is hands free and then you can just talk to your phone yeah and she will change the track for you yeah, yeah. well i had her talking to me and telling me the news on the way here oh right on my phone okay <laughs> and uh, again i i've got um uh, an amazon 
uh, Alexa device from Rove, R-O-A-V, yeah. that sits in my uh, cigarette lighter because I don't smoke, um, and it's an Alexa, yeah. so I have that. But what I want is a native version on the phone, yeah. a bit like the Siri. So then you're being listened to everywhere you go. Perfect. Well, we always are anyway, I mean, again. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Google Assistant's brilliant, I think. Uh, Amazon is great. Sorry, uh, Siri's not so great. Um, I just want the Alexa. I've, I've, I've chosen, sadly, we talked about open systems. Yeah. I've chosen to go down the closed system yeah. of Amazon. Yeah. And, and that's the ecosystem I've invested into. And so, so far... Do you, so do you think that Amazon should be giving you something in return for that data or not? No. No? Why not? I really don't. I mean, like, why, why are they beholden to give me data back and, and value for it? I mean, Don't you want a copy of everything that you've ever bought? <laughs> so you know, I do. I get that. No, I, so I, you can take it to your insurance company and go, this is what I want to be insured against, for example. Now, that would be cool. That w- I know. I get that. But actually, I was blown away. And you might have had this happen to you when you got your new Echo. Um, I used to buy all my CDs. Yes, for mm. kids, that's the plastic thing round yeah. that, you know, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I once showed my children what an LP vinyl was and they, they looked at me in total disbelief. Anyway, no, what I mean is I, I got my Echo when I first got it and I just basically went, wow. And instantly Amazon pre-populated into my Amazon Music all the purchases I'd had. Mm-hmm. They gave me that data, all the songs and everything. I was thinking, because at one point, stupidly, I thought I'd rip them all and digitise yeah, yeah. them and couldn't be bothered after the third one I did. Um, and then suddenly I got it all. So... I, I, you see, that I, I struggle with this because the other side of it is you've got all that data with Amazon. What happens to it when you die? Because when you're... When who cares? You're, you're dead. Well, no, because <laughs> don't you want your kids to understand and enjoy the music you once had? Because with the hardware, you used to be able to just Give pass it, it on, right? It got used to get passed down and handed down. But these days, you don't do that with digital copies. But, but that's coming down to the world of ownership. We shouldn't, we're not owning things these no. days. We don't own stuff. We subscribe to stuff. We... we we have temporary ownership of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite happy with that. I, I don't, I got rid of all the books we had in the house, or pretty much most of the books we had in the house, because I go, I use Audible. Mm. Um, yes. Can I not hand them down a book? No. While, the, while I'm alive, I tell them, this is a good book. You should read it. Yeah. That's great music. You should listen to it. Yeah. Right? Um, I don't feel I need to hand them a record collection, yeah. you know, or a video collection. I don't, I just don't see. Or your photo collection. Well, I've digitised all of that as well yeah. now, so they will get that, but that's that's particularly personal, mm. right? Um, what you're saying is, will they get my musical taste? Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, no. Um, but they can have the photos. I mean, they'll get everything else. They'll get the house. Um, yeah. they get the car. they get everything else. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think... Anyway, the Amazon phone is my prediction for 2019 that I'd like to see. Cool. Any predictions from you for 2019? Anything you oh, think technically? Technically. Well, VR's not going to come out no, in VR's mainstream. No, VR's not really mainstream. AR's so. crawling it out. I think you might be surprised. I think AR might come out a little bit faster than you think. Okay. I think in terms of AR and advertising, it might get interesting. What, replacing QR codes and doing stuff like that? No, going a step beyond that because you've got all this blank space on, on walls, mm. right? You've got all this area that's not being used right now. Imagine using your phone and just having a little bit of a search. But that's like a playing. Pokemon thing, isn't it? It is, but imagine gamifying that kind of stuff. Oh, and you will. You will do that. Yeah, it's not happened yet, but I reckon it will. I think that would be quite fun, actually. But I think... Um, but it's about attention still. 
Yeah, so again, we all have limited attention and time Mm. um, and where we apply it. So uh, would you be hopeful that if I took the time to take my phone and scan a blank wall to find an AR advert that I would get some value back? You would hope to get value back, wouldn't you? On that one, maybe I would, (laughs) yeah. Walking around like a... you know, I always think metal detector people are so sad walking around the field with a metal detector. You know, detector. they're mobile detectors now, aren't they? Yeah, Not exactly. Metal. Yeah, we are the mobile detectors. Oh, no, there's a blank wall. Let's see if there's anything <laughs> on it. No. Oh, that's two hours <laughs> of my life gone. Um, how sad. No, but I can see AR in that sense. Yeah. But I'd hope there'd be a little bit more of a an alert to let me know that it's worth pointing my phone at all. Well, I think they... they the alert side of things is already there in some ways because you've already got the um, the phones with their chips in them to be able to detect when when you leave the leave the shop with stuff. Yeah, geofencing, geofencing, yeah. and all that stuff. So you can geofence had, already. And we had Facebook beacons at one point, yeah, beacon um, technology, which was you know basically fundamentally where you were in a shop. It tried to know exactly what aisle you were walking down, and yeah, yeah. so it was tracking you. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there is. There is a part where we have to have payment for our time and attention yeah, yeah. because um, companies like Facebook and Google suck our attention, monetize it, aggregate it and monetize it, yeah. um, and we get no value back. And up until now, getting it for free yeah. was the fair exchange that we saw. Mm-hmm. But I guess we're getting bored of that exchange model. Well, I think they've gone beyond it being fair, I think, is is the problem there. Yeah, I mean... They've almost to- gone to the extreme. You know how you end up saying, well, yeah, I'll give you this if you give me that. But they haven't actually told you the full story of what they're doing with that. It, it suddenly becomes, I'll give you this, you give me that. But actually, I'm going to have all of this. This is this is all mine. And and I'm not going to let you have it back. This is that you gave it to me. So. Yeah, but under GDPR, for example, yeah. Twitter did... Uh, or, or were forced to allow you to download and export your tweets or yeah, your tweet stream. Yeah, but that's only really a small amount of the data that they have on people, right? This yeah, is the thing. Fa- I mean, they, they've got profiling of individuals. Same with Facebook. They've got all the advertising clicks, all the stats around that, what your pro- preferences are, things that you don't even realise are there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, right? there, and there and they may be wrong. They may not even be right data. They, they may just be random in the fact that you happen to click on that and therefore they've put you in a bucket that's not even right. Yeah, I mean... I guess what I, I when it will matter to me is when I go for some insurance or credit or mm. finance or health, uh, and they go, oh yes, we 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 got your Facebook data and we've determined that you can't. That's when I'll get yeah. okay. I want to get my data out of you now. I don't want you to have access to this. I mean, I, I mean, look some at, of that data is ten years old now. Yeah, yeah, but I look at Experian with credit rating. You know, mm. sometimes you go for a credit card and they go no, and you go why? Mm. Well, your Experian credit score is too low and you go well how was that and they won't tell you yeah so you don't know so i can imagine if it's social data mm. on top of financial data it can get quite interesting with health data with all the other bits mm. um i mean I, I hope people do wake up to the model where we control our data mm. how long do you think it will take i don't think it's as far off as people think um maybe two or three years to get to get oh, some I really good use cases and really? some really good examples that of it feels in action. so soon yeah it's not far away i mean there's already you've already getting access to your data right so build, having the ability to then share that data back isn't that far away some of these companies are going to be looking for it already 
There well, are companies asking for data anyway, particularly anonymous data for research purposes. Yeah, I still think there needs to be much more an open exchange model and a platform. Mm. Um, whether it's Tim Berners-Lee Solid or, or DigiMe's or, or, or a combination of both. Yeah. Um, or, or new browsers like Brave, I, I, I don't know. There's um, lots of different options, aren't there? There are, and I think... Um, but I th again, some of them are trying to play in Bitcoin, which I think still think is, you know, which Bitcoin is it? Ethereum yeah. is it? Bitcoin is it? Somebody else's? I mean, this week J.P. Morgan started their own cryptocurrency. There's there's a gazillion other tokens out there that exist. Mm. It's got a little bit mental. I mean, poor consumer is not going to have any chance Just of knowing. No, it almost needs to be like this Bitcoin goes with your ordinary bank account details, and therefore it's part of yeah, your bank I mean, account, right? I mean. We were talking on a uh, few weeks ago. W what is a you know what is a uh, coin or what is a bank note? It's an IOU with a trust behind mm. it that I present. But this there's also an insurance against it as well to some degree. In what way? Well, if uh, if someone else got hold of your bank details, you at least know that you can get get your money back off that when when you, when you've been told that someone's done a fraudulent transaction on your bank, for example. Yeah, but you want the equivalent of that in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, and so. That they're called STOs, um, secure tokens, yeah. which um, as opposed to ICOs, internet yeah, exactly. uh, tokens, which basically are bank backed. Yeah. So we are beginning to see that that uh, institutional backing of mm. cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, once that becomes normal, that that's then a, a legitimate currency well, that you could use. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't matter to me whether I'm paying in dollars, yen, or, yeah. uh, euros, or or Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, I mean, un hiding underneath the current banking system, you would kind of expect something similar to be running anyway, right? Yeah, I just, I, again, I just think it, 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 we're in the wild, wild west of cryptocurrency still. I still think there's a massive shakeout to occur. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. I think there's a massive shakeout in data ownership. I, I, I think we're on the right path. I think if, if the word trust and Facebook was used in the same sentence, it's no longer used. Um, <laughs> it might be under the phrase mistrust, but yeah. Yeah, and I think... People are beginning to question Google's "Don't be evil" mo motto now, which doesn't really they seem took right. They it down. Did you notice? Yeah, yeah, no, they have, and so I don't know if that means they can be evil now, or they are. <laughs> well, evil, they were already. Or evil they were when they decided that actually we can't really say that anymore. Yeah. So yeah. and and um, I I I miss the days of blogging in yeah. terms of you know, but we all gave up blogging RSS feeds. We gave, we seem to give that all up at once it almost goes you've almost, we've almost gone backwards in some ways because actually ownership of our thoughts and our our knowledge and our knowledge trans ability to transfer knowledge to one another is almost restricted through these platforms now. yeah it is and we only see because the algorithms what they want us to see so even if i shared a photo only half my friends would see it another half wouldn't see it mm. and yeah, don't don't tell me about it. I mean, things with Girl Geek Dinners and stuff like that, I always look at it in terms of communities. How do you create safe communities online these days? How do you create a community where you don't have to worry about whether someone's going to start flaming people and, and causing issues online and, and being able to manage that? Because there are no offline consequences for online actions, really. Well, we, are, we have got a few, but I, I, I get your point. Trolling is... is anonymous trolling or or people still feel that in a digital world if i say something rude to you because i can't see your face it's less impactful mm. whereas if i said something rude to you now i'd see your facial reaction to it and i'd think oh maybe that's wrong yeah exactly i mean you don't get those immediate reactions or if you do 
they're ignored and escalated in many cases online. Yeah, well, people jump on it. Yeah, exactly. It's almost an excuse to act in a way that you're not allowed to act. But we've all sent a text or a tweet which has been misconstrued, um, in my case, more often than not. (laughs) But, you know, we've all done that. So, anyway, look, um, I'm going to play a song because we're going to wrap up the show shortly. It's getting to that time. So what song did you want me to play for you? This is a song that you wanted. I've chosen Fight Song. Oh, okay. I'm not going to ask why. We're just going to play it. It's (laughs) from a a young lady called Rachel Platten. Um, So let's have a listen to what she has. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word Make a heart open I might only have one match But I can make an explosion And all those things I didn't say Still got a lot of fight left 
go. Fight Song by Rachel Platten. Did you enjoy that? I love it. It's one of my favourites. So, um, technology, hey? Technology. Who is that? You'd think I'd know what to do. Um, So, uh, I've never heard of her before. She was good. Oh, I've known that music for years now. Oh, good. I'm going to go and listen to her. So we're fast coming to the end of the show, Sarah. Yep. Thank you for coming in today. It's been brilliant. Um, so Girl Geek Dinners, yep. um, did they make any difference? I think they have in many ways. They've created communities around women in tech. They've done a lot of what they were supposed to. I think there's still a lot more that can be done. Um, but some of it isn't Girl Geek Dinner specific. It needs broader audiences um, and actually into government support and the likes of the UN pushing things through more. I mean, they're doing a lot now, but they can still do a lot more. Um, the issues around women in tech involve changing stereotypes, changing perceptions. There's lots of things that need to be done in terms of cultural acceptance of what is normal, what is right, um, and what the acceptable levels of bias should be and shouldn't be with regards to women in general in in business, let alone just tech. Um, there's cl- clearly equality in terms of um, equal pay stuff that needs to be adjusted and addressed. And we are getting there with that. We are getting there because now we've got the research to prove what's going on. And that was one of the asks that I had when I went over to the UN was to get the stats. If we don't have the stats, we can't talk the conversation. We can't prove that we're moving the needle. Right. So we now have a few stats. Um, 14% of women are actually working in the tech sector right now. That hasn't really changed in the last few years. It started at about eight. It's up to 14, and that's 10 years. At that rate, it's going to take a that, long time. And is that including marketing and PR, or is that pure tech as that's in pure tech. That's pure tech. Okay. Um, if you split it down into tech departments, you've got 48% roughly working in design, 33 in uh, pr- production, 15% of women are programmers. Right. In, in a tech I, Look, I, so I don't know the answer to my next question, but uh, do men come from Mars and women from Venus? Do we think differently? Do, is coding a, a, a male thing because we like that? You know, I, I had two girls, right? Yeah. And when I was, uh, when, when they were babies, I, 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 not me, my wife, you know, didn't particularly want them to have pink dolls. We no. just wanted to observe what they would do. They gravitated to that naturally, yeah. right? Um, and my godsons, who I saw, were jumping out of windows, l- eating mud, <laughs> kicking things, and, and trying to break or make things, right? Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't us trying to be stereotypical. No, no. So are men from Mars and women from Venus, and is coding just one of those things? So like you, I have two, but yeah. I have two boys. Right. Um, and like you, I didn't give them any stereotypical boy blue kind of stuff too yeah. much they gravitated towards the cars and the trains they gravitated not towards blue interestingly but pink okay um my They're youngest one my oldest one loves pink it's his favorite color okay um but he he will quite happily have a doll but he doesn't he plays with it like any other cuddly toy um it's it's interesting because boys and girls do have obvious differences when they grow up boys do seem to be more boisterous and more physical whether that's testosterone or not i don't know it I'm is. Not a scientist. I, I do think it is testosterone um girls do tend to s- tend, tend to end up doing the more more gravitate to things that are more arty um caring and i don't know about caring my my boys have been very caring it's right. interesting actually and very very sensitive okay however 
the expectation when they're in schools is very different to the expectations at home. Yeah, I mean, your boys are sub five. Yeah, um, I mean, I've and got a three and a five year old. So yeah. yeah. So they haven't been exposed to that playground environment no. yet, which I think is sadly... I think a lot is picked up in the playground. Yeah. A lot is picked up by what they're taught and how they're taught things. Um, I see the school books that Daniel comes home with and it's Kipper does this and it's it's very boy-focused. There's there's not that yeah, many well, girls. Yeah, did that. Yeah, but there's things that they're doing are very stereotypical, even yeah. at the age of five. Oh, no, completely. I mean, I remember the first time Sophia... My eldest daughter came home from an outside influence being mm. at the nursery school with a new rhyme. And I'm like, who did this? And yeah. that immediacy of someone else's influence on your child yeah. when they've gone. And, and, and the I media influence as well. Well, I have to say, get to secondary school and you are going to have a panic attack because <laughs> um, the minute you give them a mobile phone and they go off into digital worlds like Snap. and They already have technology. They've already got their Kindle Fire Kids edition. Well, that's fine. But, <laughs> but it is kind of restricted. Well, I was going to say, you're not allowing them to do things no. that they won't. But but I remember the difference between my, my two girls when they were at junior school to senior school was a marked difference yeah. because suddenly the big wide world was coming at them. Interestingly, when I've spoken to parents of girls that are not quite at secondary age, they've already rejected technology as a career choice, even if they're yeah. interested in tech and interested in the geeky stuff like coding. And it's not because they don't enjoy it, it's because they don't want to be different. Yes. And quite often it's around the same kind of time as they're starting to hit their periods and they're starting to find that life is changing. They don't want to stand their out. Their bodies they change. Want, they want to yeah. kind of hide at that point they don't want to be the center of attention they want to blend yeah they want to be a sense have a sense of belonging and they don't feel like they get that when they start looking at those sorts of things yeah no i agree i mean you know girl I, girls more than boys have a harder time it, it, it's just an observation i mean yeah. you, you mentioned that you're going through puberty girls change much more than boys through that puberty period um i, I remember my my eldest daughter uh, when she got, hit her period going oh that's awful mum but at least it's like once every six months like the dog and my wife had to explain to her it wasn't every six months it was actually every, every month, month for the rest of her life and she her little face just dropped she was like i don't want to do this oh. boys never have this thing no. to deal with no no they just had the testosterone instead that they've got well to deal we with. just end up with hair and we go oh that's not a place for a bit of hair well you know we'll shave that then um, it's the emotional side of that though for a guy because mm. they also have very high high um, anger levels at times they have Can to manage do. that Can it, do. it comes in a very different way to women yeah um, where were we so my, my, I guess what I was asking you was um, Girl Geeks dinners have been highly highly successful mm. um, you're not doing them now yourself they are still going well I still run the back run behind the scenes so oh, okay. I, I still centrally coordinate the website I manage uh, all the groups around the world will you go back into doing one in London again I think London will maybe come back right. um, we've had Ray. discussions with a couple of people um, who are interested in getting it up and running and they can anyone who wants to start a Girl Geek Dinner in an area can just get in touch on the website and log on and say that they were interested in which area and off they go they can just get in touch and we can make that happen I can guide them on the process we're used to doing it now it's been <laughs> years <laughs> and, um, and we're starting to do more stuff online now too so oh, okay. um, we are now working with Hacker Earth um, and we're due to have a women uh, women's hackathon uh, running across International Women's Day on the 8th. And that's the start and the launch of that. So there's lots of things going on. Um, but whether or not it makes a difference, we'll keep the stats going and keep checking. Well, no, I, I think it does. I mean, 
I ask the question because I think it does make a difference because I think whether you know it makes an immediate difference, it will make a long-term difference. Yeah, I mean, I get some lovely stories from some of the Girl Geeks from around the world that get in touch and they tell me about how amazing and how much of a life changer it's been for them. And it's fascinating because I, I don't generally hear those stories because I'm not that connected to them that indiv- individually anymore. But it's those little stories and those anecdotes that really inspire others as well. So I want to be able to collect those one day and, and start to share those out because I think that will have a massive impact too. Um, in terms of the other things we talked about today, I guess we, we, we pretty much know that 5G is rolling out in mm-hmm. 2019, 2020. Uh, the interesting impact is of more bigger pipes what will that mean mm-hmm. i mean you know what will come down those pipes um i'm a firm believer that every it system has a bottleneck somewhere yeah and we we unlock those bottlenecks so whether it's the processor the screen quality the you know the pipe for data access so it seems that we're focusing on the the pipe is the next big yeah release yeah. valve and then suddenly there'll be the chip isn't fast enough managing all the data because then we <laughs> yeah. want vr and ar down those pipes and suddenly it can't manage it and so we're going to get you know new chips or new form factors and maybe maybe the foldable phone is the first of just changing the form factor i don't yeah, know maybe maybe i mean form factor is an interesting one because it's always changing but it just seemed to cycle a lot and I, I agree with your point which was you know um, we, we've aggregated everything onto the phone and maybe the next trend is to de-aggregate. Is that a word? Well, we centralised it onto the phone and decentralised yeah. it. But we did That's the same the with word, apps, right? That's the word, We did that with apps. So we had mobile web and then we had web apps yeah. and then we had mobile apps on device. So it went on device, off device, on device, off device. Yeah, I mean, I, th- th- there's a whole topic on something called progressive web apps, which is the next version of web apps, um, which are basically web apps that look like mobile phone apps and, yeah. and act like them. But anyway, we, we can't start that conversation now. <laughs> um, and, and lastly, um, you know, we, we, we looked at VR as well and, mm. and you know, and AR. And I, I'm, as I said, a big advocate of AR. Um, I'm not a massive advocate of VR. I can't right now envisage using it in within my social home space. Mm. But But maybe it's not for home. Yeah, it may not be. It may be for out and about, right? Yeah, well, could be. Sarah, we're going to have to wrap it up there. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been a lovely time. Thank you. Good. And, uh, yeah, this podcast obviously will be going up live shortly. Cool. Um, And, yes, hopefully if you have any questions for Sarah. Now, Sarah, you did mention one thing about Digime. If people want to get involved with Digime and what you're doing, how can they do that? So if, the, if you're interested in um, coming and trying out Digime and giving us feedback and shaping the app, um, you can go to digi.me forward slash insiders. Brilliant. What it leaves me to say is thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Until then, it's goodbye. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.